Listener Production. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn, and lead. One of my favourite ways to do that is by running live events, like our annual Leadership Summit. There's nothing quite like being in a room full of inspiring women, hearing their stories, and sharing leadership experience. Well, in this series, I'm bringing you the next best thing to being there in the room and sharing the highlights from our 2022 summit. Tacking on a master's or a TAFE course to your resume is often thought of as a quick fix for differentiating yourself in a crowded job market. But extra study can be expensive and you're probably busy enough without an assignment to worry about. So is it really worth it? This panel's discussion on upskilling features Kylie Bryant, Chief Operations Officer for the Department of Industry, Emma Foley, the Director of Driver Operations and Marketplace for Uber Australia, and Paranka Ashraf, Founder and Director of the Creative Cooperative. The panel is chaired by Future Women's Bayana Koss. Here she is now. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited for this session and I'll out myself. It's because I've had a half-filled application for a master's degree for the last six months and I really need to answer this question. So I'll get started with a question for all three of you, uh, but we'll begin with Kylie. Data shows that men are more likely to be applying for roles where they don't meet all of the criteria and women are not. Kylie is joining us via Zoom. Should we all just be making like the men do and apply for a job even if we're not perfectly qualified? It's a really interesting question because I'm not sure I necessarily want to emulate that from men. But I think really for me, the key thing is to work on my own self-confidence. So really when I think about some of the successes in my career and some of the big leaps that I've taken into jobs where I didn't have all the qualifications and experience Those have been most successful when I've worked on myself and when I've understood the contribution and unique contribution that I can bring to the table. And so working with, I've worked with exec coaches for many, many years. I've done the sort of the leadership courses and all these different things that have brought me a better understanding of who I am and what it is that I have to offer. And so what I would say is we shouldn't be holding ourselves back but it's not about being like the men. It's actually about doing it in our own way, working on things and applying for things that are our passion, our interest, and doing it in a way where we understand completely our own self-worth. Emma, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this as well. Should we as women take the pressure off a little bit and apply for a role or a promotion if say we feel we're 70% of the way there? I think I'd pretty simply say yes. (laughs) Um, And I'll obviously go into that a bit more, but I definitely think when I look at my own career, there's definitely places where I've, you know, applied for things where it says you need to have 10 years of job experience and I only had six or seven. If I think about most recently being in Latin America, the job that I went into there said must have business level fluency in English and Spanish. And I had a little bit of Spanish. I had uh, done an exchange in, in Mexico City when I was at university, but I certainly did not have you know, business level proficiency in Spanish. And I think if I had looked at that and said, well, that's not me, I would have missed out on a great opportunity and an opportunity that I was absolutely ready for and, and you know, 
qualified for in, in other ways in terms of my experience and, and ready to do. And so I think there's definitely, I don't know, you've got to be sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and it is a role that you're interested in and you're going to love and enjoy um, and that you do feel like matches the skills that you have. We have tried more and more at Uber, I think, to think about how we're crafting those job descriptions and what they say in terms of the industries we expect people to have. Uh, do we really need to have that many years of work experience um, and making sure that, you know, how you put out those jobs, uh, we know it has an impact on, on the type of people that apply. Priyanka, you're self-taught in the tech space. What would be your advice to a woman wanting to apply for a role but maybe feels that they're not ticking the boxes in the jobs ad as far as their degrees, qualification and training? I think it's a lot less about what women need to re-engineer and a little bit more about what society needs to stop saying. So we've got this constant conversation about women are underrepresented in the workforce in X sector, Y sector. We're actually not underrepresented. We are underestimated. And there is actually a really big difference between the two. Why is it that if the leading tech companies like Amazon, for example, the concept of setting stretch goals, so you've got base goals, you've got stretch goals. Why are they so popular? Because they set stretch goals. That is literally in their operational infrastructure. Why are we not applying that to the way that we try and get new jobs, try and get new skills, articulate that? My dad actually gave me a really great piece of advice, and this is actually um, a saying, but I don't know who it's from. If you reach for the moon, you'll catch a star. And I've got to say that that's the approach that I've been taking. And whilst it was really difficult to see that materialize, whilst I was working within very strongly established corporates with these types of requirements, you know, which appeal to men or people identifying as men, if I look at my journey in entrepreneurship, it's been very different because no one's actually, you know, had these rules laid out. There hasn't been this pressure on me that, am I good enough or not? I've kind of just gone ahead and done it. And I understand, like, this panel is very much about thinking of upskilling, but I think it's time to stop thinking and just doing it. It's great advice. Thank you. Um, data shows us a correlation between tertiary qualifications and employment. Kylie, has the importance of a university degree or vocational training in regards to careers changed in recent years or is it still as vital as ever? I don't think that it's shifted much in terms of I think there's still such an expectation around certain jobs and things in terms of having a tertiary qualification. And obviously there's some where you need the qualification to actually do the job, so that's a given. But I don't believe that we've broken that nexus yet. And I still think that, you know, there's certain sort of pockets where they'll even ask you which university you went to. And so, and I completely um, agree with Pranka. It's so much about what the market is expecting from applicants and how we're not changing the way that we recruit and things like that. And so there's still, I think, quite an expectation there. That being said, the shift that I think we can see. One is I don't think sort of set in stone as it used to be. I see a lot of staff coming through the public service without those degrees and still being um, highly successful and quite often sponsored by the departments and things that they work for to maybe do some additional study. But it's still harder. It's still a harder road. What I would say to people also around that sort of post-grade qualification as well, and I don't know if this is a follow-up question so I don't want to get too far down the track, but I think there's other things you can do 
in a post-grad sense that, in my view, can make you even more successful. And it would also be if someone was coming to me without the, the actual tertiary, the undergraduate degree, I would be giving them slightly different advice than just going back and just doing an undergraduate degree if they've got a lot of work experience. But I'm happy to expand on the um, the post-grad thoughts that I have, but I'll leave it there. No, that would be incredible if you would, because that was a follow-up question. <laughs> Your powers of deduction are amazing. Okay. <clears throat> so look, this can be for really any, any sort of study, whether it's post-grad or undergraduate or whatever you're looking at. The first thing I'd say is I'm actually a terrible student. I did a banking and finance degree and um, vomited before every exam because they're all worth 100%. I wasn't a qualified accountant and I decided I wanted a career change and so I did a master's in strategic studies. I would cry at the beginning of every essay and things like this because I couldn't get started. Anyway, so I actually feel like I'll pay money to never have to study again. But what I would say is to think about the why um, and the when and the what and the how because those things are really important. The why can be because it's your passion, as I said, a career change, those sorts of things. But the why should never be because I need to be perfect or because I need to compete or I need to prove myself. From a when point of view, I often will talk to women because we all take everything on at the same time, is try not to overload yourself. Now, if you're a really good studier, and study actually really comes easily to you and it's something that you love doing, then you might be someone who will be working full-time or part-time and have young kids and you're still happy to get the computer out at 8pm and start doing your study. So I'm not trying to limit anyone's thoughts, but what I often see with women that I work with is that they actually are <clears throat> trying to do all of that at the same time. Um, actually, and what they're doing is driving themselves into the ground and I would just say to you that your career is long and your time with either small children or dealing with family issues or doing other things in your life, those sort of things sometimes are only for a short time and, and it's really important to give those things time. And then study can come at any time really. I also would just say that on the what part is what does not need to be formal. So some of the best sort of leaps forward in my career have been when I've worked on myself and my confidence and my leadership. One of the things I always sort of tell people is become the interpreter in your organisation, become the storyteller who can actually make the things that are happening make sense to different people. So there's things that don't have to be that really formal upskilling that's, that you might think you need and needing to head back to uni or doing something like that. There's so many other opportunities that can make you more confident, more attractive to promotion and things like that. Helen here again, just jumping back in to say perhaps it is time to think about women not being underrepresented, but underestimated. And as Paranka says, stop thinking about upskilling and just do it. We've heard our panel discuss how to approach job ads that you might not think you have the exact skill set for. Now, we'll hear from Kylie, Emma and Piranka on which skills they think are the most valuable to add to your arsenal. Back to Bojana. Starting with Emma, uh, we are talking about skills and the future. What would you say are skills that are likely to be in demand in the coming years? 
It's really interesting because we were just talking earlier uh, when I first arrived about how I'm hiring for a lot of roles in my team at the moment. And I think, and some of this is industry specific because I think there are, of course, places where you really do need that vocational training and there are quite specific skills that you need. But I think when I'm hiring into roles in my team at the moment, we're really looking for a lot of those very transferable skills, like great problem solving, great communication, great strategic thinking, ability to synergize a lot of ideas. And I think those are skills that really will continue to be important. And I think if you look at how work has changed probably in the last 10 years, and, and I think will continue to change, it's around you know people really having these kind of um, squiggly careers and, and kind of squiggly career stories. Um, there's a great New Zealander called Claudia Batten that talks about the kind of squiggly line of her career. And it's something that she, she speaks about a lot. And so I think when you think about skills and upskilling, I think it's about thinking about how do you kind of pick up those skills across different roles in your career. And I think something that I have thought about over time is, you know, I'm been in kind of general operations roles, general management roles. And when you kind of look at, hey, where do I want to continue to be in, in, in the next few years? Where might be those places where I can kind of round out my experience by taking on a different role in the organization. So I think when I went to Latin America and moved into strategy and planning from a kind of more generalist management role in New Zealand, some of that was around getting more financial experience, um, kind of getting closer to the P&L, making decisions around how we manage the financial side of the business and knowing that if I wanted to continue to kind of progress and be able to broaden my experience, that that was kind of a great skill that I could pick up along the way. I've probably thought about that as well as I've kind of done more growth focus roles and interfaced a lot with like uh, performance marketing teams and things like that, um, where you kind of start to pick up those skills that hopefully, you know, <laughs> fingers crossed, I'm still, you know, not that far through my career, but hopefully I'll look back in, in 15 years and say, hey, all of those different things that I picked up along the way were really valuable. Priyanka, a similar question. What skills would you recommend women focus on if they're looking to boost their career? So I'd say there's two sets of skills, actually. So the first, and I believe this is the foundational one, it's actually enterprise skills, and I'll list a couple of those in a sec, and technical skills, and I'll list those as well. So I think it's the Australian Industry and Skills Committee in 2019 identified that the single skill that was, you know, topped as, as the most critical one was, in fact, adaptability. And coming out of the pandemic, I think we know that that's 100% true. So if we look at that as a baseline in a post-pandemic world, adaptability is your number one skill set that's going to get you ahead, irrespective of whatever career or job that you're working in, that's number one. Working off of that baseline of adaptability and considering other enterprise skills, Emma's already touched on some of these. So creative thinking, innovation, critical thinking, communication skills, interpersonal skills. So these are really, really important. And I don't think that they can be underestimated because trying to build technical skills without these as a foundation is like trying to build a house on a shaky foundation. 
So next, going into technical skills, again, I think some of these were already referred to. We're looking at cyber, we're looking at data, we're looking at development, whether that's across web or application or, you know, even, even the design sector that's changing so much. We're looking at UX, we're looking at UI. We're even looking, we're revisiting how project management is also being done. No longer is waterfall going to work. We're actually looking at agile ways of working. So I would still call that a technical skill set because it is a very specific way of project project management. So I'd say together, those are the most important ones. And I think for me, at least personally, what I have found where I have not at all followed a linear career path, one that's not listed in any of those I've mentioned is also that hunger to keep learning. That's really, really important. I just want to thank you, Priyanka, for um, teaching me the term enterprise skills. I certainly prefer that to some other terms that are used for those capabilities. So thank you. Um, Kylie, it's similar question. Uh, you're very well versed in the world of policy setting, public service and national security. What skills are you anticipating will be critical in the future? Generally across the, the public service and similar to sort of what Priyanka was saying, it's policy. So that's that sort of critical thinking. It's writing, really writing well and succinctly. Data. So data is going to be part of everything that we do and is already is really, and leadership. So we're very much looking at this across the APS, but particularly in our department. In terms of the future, we know that climate change and needing to lower emissions and things like that are going to dominate every sector. The change that we will see in the market is jobs that start to, to need to fulfil those sort of needs in the sector. And when you ask me about national security, it's like, who, who knows? Like, if I had a crystal ball around national security, I'd be making a lot more money than I do right now. Um, I mean, who could have predicted Ukraine and things like that? So, you know, we will see a rising China dominate our economic sphere. It will dominate where we live and the things that we do so the way that the Australian economy works needs to change and people know that. As much as you can't, we can't really see what's around the corner, we know that these sort of things are going to dominate over the next sort of five to ten years and beyond. And so if you're thinking about upskilling or markets or things like that, there's certainly burgeoning things coming that you can think about. I have to admit, I really like the idea of a crystal ball for national security. I think we'd all feel a lot better about the world. Can I? Oh, yes, please, Priyanka. Just before we wrap up on that, can I just add one more thing? I think particularly if we're thinking about, you know, I, I mean, we talk about future of work all the time, but literally what is it that a human can do and is really, really important that a bot cannot? That is a really sweet spot to work out of. And I think speaking to market conditions, at least like looking at what are specifically the highest jobs that we're seeing demands for as well. It's, I mean, the demand for social media marketers. I mean, that that didn't even exist about 10 years ago, even more recent than that. So that's reflected again by the amounts that employers are now having to pay, even for entry level roles in social media marketing, as an example. So graduates, for example, are fetching 20, 30K more than the amount that they would based on the average industry standard. So I think there's a really big opportunity there in terms of digital. Thank you, Priyanka. What I'm hearing from this panel is more of a focus on the enterprise foundational skills rather than, um, and there are some great technical skills as well that you can brush up on. But it leads me to the question that some of those enterprise skills are a bit more difficult to quantify. 
and leave us in a position where we're having to sort of create this story in resumes and cover letters and applications. Emma, what would be your advice to someone looking for their next career move in telling that story in an engaging way? I think there's obviously this kind of getting into the the interview in the first place. Um, and so I think that that probably is about as you apply for a, for a new job, thinking about how you craft a story in your resume that really matches that role, um, whether it's through, you know, a little pithy statement at the top that that kind of summarizes, you know, why, why you're interested and, and why your experience matches, um, but also the kind of story that you tell through the particular bullet points that you put against your kind of personal experience. But I think the place that you probably have the biggest opportunity to really kind of show that off is through the interview process. Um, and definitely when I'm hiring at the moment, I think so often I, I'm, it's not that I don't look at people's resumes because of course I, I try to quickly before the interviews, but our interviews are about, you know, often asking people problem solving questions and really engaging with them. And I think that's where people have a chance to kind of stand out by engaging with whatever business or, or field it is that they're interested in um, and kind of touching on the, you know, the flexibility, adaptability um, point that we've been discussing. I think one of the biggest places that people can kind of take that jump is not just around applying for the things where, you know, you don't have the experience or you don't have the MBA that's being asked for, but also about thinking more broadly about different industries, because I think obviously, you know, I have the personal experience here at Uber, which is very few people at Uber had ever run a transportation business or a food delivery company, very, very tiny number. We end up with someone who had started their own food delivery business and ends up working at, at Uber Eats. But the majority of people don't have any of that kind of specific domain experience. But you realise that obviously people go on to have you know great careers. And I think sometimes making that kind of industry jump and saying, hey, I might not have experience in financial services, but actually the skills that I bring, I do have the confidence that I can apply them in a new context. And it's not even necessarily about being able to perfectly tell that story through a resume because you may not be able to, but certainly through the interview process, making sure that you can really engage with the questions, engage with the content and what that organization's you know, facing, you know, what their challenges are and, and how you can help them solve those problems. Thank you. Um, we do need to wrap up. I'd like a key takeaway from the three of you, starting with Priyanka. Uh, what is your sort of number one piece of advice for women who is tackling this question of upskilling? Where do they start? I think I already mentioned the part about not being underestimated. I mean, people will do that to you, but it's really important that you stand your ground and you know that the only person that defines your value is you. And I think in terms of the key takeaway, that first time that you submit the application for a new role or you're making a proposal, you're advocating for yourself, it's a really, really important step. In fact, there's even software that if you don't have particular information in there, you're out. So now when I too am on the other end and I'm looking at resumes and I'm hiring, I will literally skim because we don't yet have software like that, but will scam and I will literally look for numbers. I will scan the resume for numbers and I'll see, okay, where is there a percentage increase of X? Where is there a percentage decrease of Y? So if you are not telling your story using data, which is the cash of the 21st century, then you're not actually telling your story at all. So I would say as something very, very actionable, that is something really critical to do. And where you don't have that story yet, 100%, think about the parallel ways in which you can talk about that experience, but make sure you use the data. Uh, same question to you, Kylie. Uh, the key takeaway for anyone tackling this question in their career. 
I'm just going to go back to something I said at the beginning is, you know, upskilling can be anything you want it to be and it needs to be your passion and interest and it doesn't have to be big, it can be quite small, it can be using an executive coach, a whole range of things. But I think my takeaway for everyone would be think about what sets you apart and that might be only really sort of two or three things that you can own that you would say are your strengths. And if you can have that come through in your application and in an interview and you own those things that are really uniquely yours, then they're very believable. And don't be afraid to own what sets you apart. Again, great advice. Thank you, Kylie. I'll finish off with you, Emma. Say you've got someone in your growing team and they come to you and they say they're looking to skill themselves up a little bit more. Where are you sending them to start? I think the biggest one for me is, I'm sure some people are familiar with it, the 70-20-10 construct, which is 70% of your you know, upskilling uh, will happen or your development will happen on the job. 20% of it will happen through development relationships or interactions. So that might be feedback from peers working with a great manager who gives you great feedback, or it might be something like an executive coach. And then 10% of it is this kind of formal instruction, going to do the master's degree, going to this specific training program that your work sends you off to. And I think so many people focus far too much on the 10% and the, you know, what's my 10% that I'm going to go have to apply for this new qualification or even saying to their employer, like, what are you doing for me? Why are you not sending me off to those courses? And actually those things can be really important and they can be really interesting and and can add to your bow. Um, But to be honest, the the 70% is the biggest thing. And so think about when you're doing a job, um, all of the experience that you can get by taking on new projects, taking on new roles. Um, And I think that's what will serve, you know, serve you the best through your career. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, executive producer Jenny Goggin, sound production by Darcy Thompson. 